When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, the podcast that has more sauce than an elderly Italian woman's pantry and hits harder than Captain Stephen Hiller. I am Jared Stormer of Maze and Brew. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of Maze and Brew. Andy, you human demigod, half centaur, half man. Nobody which ha- knows which half is which, and we will keep it that way. How you doing, you mythical god? I'm doing better than James West or uh, Jay from Men in Black, I can tell you that much. Weird, weird week. Uh, As pro Will Smith guys, uh, Captain Stephen Hiller Day, for those of you that don't know, is July 5th, where we celebrate Captain Stephen Hiller defeating the aliens uh, in that invasion. I don't know that we can celebrate it in the same manner as we once did before. Weird week. No, we'll just celebrate Randy Quaid. We sing his praises enough, and I think he's deserving of his own day. Exactly. So now it's uh, Randy Quaid Day is uh, against <laughs> against all odds. Again, Quaid making the comeback. The superior Quaid, he's getting his own holiday. The superior Quaid. I love that we are on the forefront of this argument, but uh, good to hear from you again, my friend, in my last week in Argentina. Uh, this will be my last time recording in the Southern Hemisphere, as we will be back and at the spring game this weekend. It sounds like it's going to be official. I am fired up. Yes, uh, fire us emails, tweets if you want to meet up at the game. We're going to be there early. Hefty pregame for us there. We want to enjoy this, take it all in. It's not very often you get to go to the big house and you know have a stress-free environment for a football game. This is just all a win for us. 
That's what I'm screaming. Free to get in. And yeah, we're going to go. We're going to get some Greg Crippen minutes. If you want to hit us up, it's at JStorm303 on Twitter, at UMAndrewB. Um, if you want to hit up Andy, either one of us, get a hold of us, and we would love to meet up with you. They say no tailgating, but that's more like a recommendation. Exactly. We're, we're you know, ignore that. Just keep on walking. It's like a sign that says no smoking at an outback. Just light up a stick. It's fine. Um, it, it's yeah. outback. <laughs> yeah, come find us. Probably be at Pioneer driving up. It's going to be a nice little Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. Get to meet your lady. Uh, yeah, it's it's unfortunate to have to say goodbye to Buenos Aires, where I've met some amazing friends, uh, an amazing lady down here, but. It is nice to have the big house waiting for you when you get back. And it's crazy because we've been so locked in on basketball, hockey, even baseball. U.S. men's team is going for qualifying right now, which I've been getting in on. We're both into Formula One this year. So our sports intake's been high, and yet we've got a spring game to look forward to. So there's football to watch, baby. It's uh, This is high time for, for content intake. It kind of snuck up on us because the other night when you texted me about coming in, I, I knew you were coming back from Argentina soon, but I didn't realize it was this soon. And you're like, spring game this weekend? And I was weighing my options like, oh, I don't know if I can make it. I'm like, what, what am I doing here? Of course I'm going to make it. See you a few times a year. It's Michigan football in the year. There's beers to be drank. Like, come on. That's what I'm saying, bro. Beers are on me. You got a place to say it. free entry into the big house. It's the cost of gas. Let's go. God, this is a no brainer, man. And like you, you had a great point off the air. We've been like so inundated with all these other sports and football was so successful last year. We have the faith in football to just be fine. Like Michigan football is going to be okay. Promise you that. Yeah. And also a point that we made uh, before the Ohio State game, we're like, you think we can't handle a loss or two this year? Like, bro, we've been through the ringer. We've seen it all. We have had off. We won two games in the pandemic year. If this year is a little bit like of a downer year, we're still going to be living our best lives. I guarantee it. It is going to be just fine because this offense is still going to be potent. We survived the pandemic with nothing else to do except Michigan football to still crush us further into the ground. We can take anything. Yeah, what do you got? Um, <laughs> that being said, I uh, want to use this episode to kind of to, to wrap up the basketball season as it, as it is wrapped for both men's and women's basketball. Uh, unfortunately, neither one being able to go the distance, though, uh, probably a little more disappointing for the women's team, which really had a chance, I think, for the men's team. Uh, which we'll get into in a minute, probably uh, a successful season and and maybe overachieved, but we'll discuss that uh, versus Villanova. We did come up short in that game and the final score, that being 55-63 in a game that felt like, do you feel like we played poorly or just we had horrible luck? This is the least intelligent basketball like analytics question ever. Because you look at the analytics of this game, and this game made no sense. We should have won this game. I think both the men's and women's teams lost where they were supposed to. Now, let me follow that up with both games are very frustrating for different reasons. And we'll start with the men's that they missed so many shots at the rim. Just bunny after bunny after bunny. But 
this is what the Michigan team was this season. They were a frustrating team. They could be in a game with Tennessee at times, and they could get blown out by Minnesota at other times. So eventually the law of averages has to come around and say, some of this game is going to be really fun. Some of it's going to suck a lot. And the defensive intensity was there. But man, all that said, it still feels like we let this one slip away. Feel like there was a lot left on the table to expand on your point. We were 12 of 29 against Villanova on dunks and layups, seven of 14 at the free throw line, good for 50%, and we lose by eight. So throughout the season, Michigan was 28th out of 358 possible teams um, and 16th amongst the high majors in field goal percentage at the rim. So that 12 of 29 should have been around 64%, 65%. Had we have hit at our average, that's another 12 to 14 points. Reminding you of the score again, 55 to 63. So there's reason to be frustrated and think that there was a lot left on the table. We shot 33% from three in this one. No one was particularly electric in this one. Hunter Dickinson did what he could. Um, player of the game, I guess, in a loss, still probably Dickinson. Brooks did what he could. Brooks played pretty well. But... It just it was a team that we didn't expect to be where where they were at. So an overachievement to even get there. But man, it sucks losing to Nova again, especially in a game where it's like we could steal one from them. The team that ended Eli Brooks's first NCAA tournament runs ends his last. There's something poetic in that, but I still hate it. I um, absolutely hate it. it. It's not, it's, it kind of helps, but it doesn't help at all that if Villanova goes on to win the national championship and it's like, oh, we were that close to doing it. But again, we talked about it leading up to the game. This was a house money type of game. Like the fact that this team made it to the Sweet 16 and we're frustrated with the loss, that is such a win for this season at large. I'm with you, man. Uh, before we move uh, to cover women's basketball quickly, got to give a shout out to Dinesh Balami was watching the game with him uh, in Argentina, met a whole group of cats from Ann Arbor, Michigan grads, some engineers. Really cool cats, so wanted to give them a shout-out on the pod. Love meeting people that uh, you know enjoy Michigan athletics, especially when I can meet them down in the Southern Hemisphere. It's awesome. Yeah, dude, shout-out Kellen Voss, guy we write with, the best basketball writer at Mason Brew. No shade to anybody else. I just really enjoy Kellen's Agreed. work. Uh, reached out, said great things about the podcast, and maybe we'll have him on in the future talking ball because the kid really knows his stuff. Yeah, I would enjoy that. Yeah, most most definitely. Kellen's great. Check his stuff out over on Mason Brew. Um, for women's basketball, let's move over there. So they had uh, a good run, not a great run. I feel a little more disappointed where, where things ended there, especially having Nas Hillman, who's just the goat for Michigan. Michigan basketball, women's basketball, and that's pretty much undisputed. You smoke Villanova, so you get a little bit of redemption there against Villanova. You beat South Dakota in the Sweet 16 in a close one. And then you lose to Louisville, who's just it's like Louisville and Villanova. It's these recurring villains in Michigan basketball year in and year out. And we get one and then they get one. It's bizarre a little bit, um, but just got outplayed by Louisville there. Um, Nas Hillman has declared for the WNBA draft. She will definitely go first round and will definitely have her number hung in the rafters, or at least she should. Yeah, Nas Hillman deserves all the flowers in the world. And man, this game was frustrating because, again, Michigan is down to, I believe the score is 50 to 52, and five straight possessions. We went just nothing. And on the fifth possession was the first time Nas touched the ball in a design play for her. And then there was a BS charge called against her because that Louisville team was flopping all over the place. Just any kind of contact just falling over. And if you like block charges, I don't know why you hate fun. So. 
that was very frustrating. Michigan, again, there's a lot left on the bone. Thought they could have made it to the Final Four, and that would have been an awesome, awesome season. But still, first time in program history making it that far. Nas Hillman's an animal, and the double zero does belong in the rafters. 100%. Plus, it's the double zero. What a badass. That's just like a cool number to rock to be like the all-timer like Nas Hillman is. It's great. It's it's one of those things where like if you wear it and you suck, you you look like such like even more of a loser than you already are. But if you wear it and you're awesome, it, it accentuates that even further. You are that much of a badass. Like when it worked with Gilbert Arenas, it, Agent Zero was like, this is the coolest thing ever. But when it doesn't, it's like, what are you doing, bro? Who do you yeah, think you're you Russell are? Westbrook on the Lakers? Yeah, there you go. There are <laughs> there are extremes to this. But Nas Hillman ends as Michigan's first male or female basketball player to record two thousand points and one thousand rebounds. Finishes her career with 2,150 points, 1,042 rebounds. Absurd. Beast mode. And a great career. Thank you for coming to Michigan, Nas Hillman. Yeah, best female in uh, Michigan uh, program history on the women's side. Took Michigan to their first Sweet 16 last year, first Elite Eight this year. You can't say enough good things about her. She's going to be a stud in the WNBA. Definitely. I uh, hope she goes high in the draft. Um, I'm going to have to pay attention. I, I admit fully that I haven't followed that as closely as I should have in years past. I am going to be more tuned in to, to women's basketball, both collegiate and professional. So interested to see where she goes. Uh, in this podcast, though, we wanted to kind of put a bow on this Michigan basketball season. Um, so we're going to switch over to the men's here. I was thinking maybe we look at the last 10 years here and try and come up with some context for what this season was. You up for that? You know I'm up for this. I love putting things in the context way before they should be. Let's jump to these conclusions. Yeah, let's jump to conclusions immediately while our hearts are still hurting after the Villanova loss. I think it's better that way. So we're going back 10 years here. So that goes back to the 11-12 season. And in that season, I'm just going to give brief rundowns of each season. You can kind of tell me your thoughts on the season. 11-12, you got freshman Trey Burke. Tim Hardaway's a sophomore. That's uh, Zach Novak's last season. And in that season, you're co-Big Ten champs with MSU and OSU, which is gross. And uh, yeah, that's gross. Undefeated at home in that season, though, until the last game of the season, lost in the round of 32. Any memories from that 11-12 season? You were pretty young then. Glimmer of hope. It was a tease, if anything. Yep, absolutely. 12-13, we all know. That's the first title team. That's the Trey Burke, the Hardaway. You've got freshman McGarry, Stauskas, and Levert. Greg Robinson, or uh, uh, yeah, Robinson the third. You got, um, yeah, on the bench there, I think you had Teske coming in. Only lost one game at home. Uh, lost number two Indiana to the end of the season. You lose the Big Ten regular season title, but you defeat Wisconsin in the second round to go to the Big Ten championship. Obviously lose to Louisville. Two first Glenn Robinson round. did not go to the national championship for you to call him Greg. Greg Robinson. <laughs> I apologized as soon as I said it. <laughs> no, that team, I mean, it speaks for itself. They went to the national championship, the Trey Burke shot, one of the most athletic teams in Michigan history. Uh, not going to spoil anything. That one's going to be hard to beat. Uh, <laughs> the next year, really good year. You lose Burke, you lose Hardaway, but you got McGarry, Stauskas, Levert. You got Glenn Robinson coming back. You bring in Walton Irvin. Uh, that was the year we lost in the Elite Eight to Kentucky. Okay. any Anything to say on that or move on to the next one? 
honestly one of the years I like most successful years I forget about because I was so devastated from the Louisville loss. It's like a forgettable year, but you look at this roster and it's loaded. And that's kind of the exercise we're building towards. So don't forget about this year as far as just overall roster. I mean, it's it's got a lot of guys. Um, 14, 15, that's the Albrecht, DJ Wilson, Karis Levert. You bring in Muhammad Abdul, uh, Rockman. You bring in Derek Walton. You bring in Zach Irvin, who is the most forgotten about important guy on a Michigan team ever. As I was doing this exercise, 16 and 16 that year, uh, didn't make it past the quarterfinals of the big 10 championship. No postseason that year. Okay. Completely blocked that one out from memory for good reason. Yep. Uh, yeah, not going to spoil anything. That one's not going to be high when we're ranking these. 15-16, <laughs> that's when you bring in Mo Wagner. You got DJ Wilson still. Karis LeVert is a senior at this point. You've got Walton, Irvin, who have been there. And you also bring in uh, somebody by the name of Duncan Robinson from a D3 program, which happened to be a decent find. Uh, but in that season, uh, Karis LeVert injured, which has been a problem in his entire career. Uh, we won the first four to get into the tournament and were bounced in the first round that year. Any this thoughts on that felt one? Like, it kind of felt like a return to normalcy where it's like, okay, we made it to the national championship. That's probably an aberration. There's no Trey Burks around. Like, If we're getting in the tournament, this kind of feels like a win because that's where Michigan basketball really was. We were really high on DJ Wilson is what I remember from that year. Cause this, I think, um, the, the year after is when you and I started podcasting. So we were talking about DJ Wilson soon after. Uh, yeah, it was coming. I remember, yeah. I remember Walton. I was like, Derek Walton's going to be a guy. Derek Walton was a guy kind of another yeah. forgotten, like a Zach Irvin guy. That's super important. 16, 17 year best described as the plane crash team. Lowest seeded Big Ten team to ever win the tournament. They were the number eight seed. You got Xavier Simpson coming back that year, playing a huge role. Your seniors were Duncan Robinson, Derek Walton, Zach Irvin that year. You had sophomore Mo Wagner. You lose by one point to Oregon in the Sweet 16, but you beat Louisville for some revenge in the round of 32 that year. Any thoughts on the 16-17 year? Oh, man, I love this team. It was so much fun. in that Oregon game, you're right in the thick of it. I loved the rallying around. This is a team I could probably rank too high on my list just because of the emotional attachment. Yeah, you and I are kind of on the same page here. It'll be interesting. We're about to start ranking them, but they're going to be probably higher than they should, uh, being as how they only made the Sweet 16. Only made the Sweet 16. Yeah. 17-18, you bring back Eli Brooks, you bring back Livers, uh, you also bring back Poole, who was a freshman in that the previous year, I didn't mention that, um, and then that adds to Mo Wagner, who's there, Charles Matthews is there, um, uh, Muhammad Abdul Rahman is still there, Xavier Simpson is there, Teske's still there, uh, not regular season champs, but Big Ten tournament champs, 14-game win streak from Big Ten tournament into the NCAA tournament, this is the year Jordan Poole hits the miracle shot versus Houston, Lose to Villanova in the title game. Mo Wagner goes first round. Um, this is going to be tough to beat as far as a team when you look at depth. Yeah, spoiler, this team's going to be very high on the list. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't think we're breaking any news there. 1819, you lose Muhammad Abdul Rahman, you lose Duncan Robinson to graduation. You bring in Brandon Johns and Iggy Brazdakis. Not a ton of incoming talent there. Luckily, Iggy Braz ended up being a villain that we needed. You still have Teske, Xavier Simpson, Livers is still there. And this year, we lost to Michigan State in the Big Ten tournament, so we made it all the way to the tournament championship game. And then we lose to Texas in the Sweet 16 game. Jordan Poole, Iggy Brazdakis. Jordan Poole to the first round, Iggy Brazdakis in the second round. Both hanging around. This year was... That Texas Tech game was tough. I think that was pretty much an ass beating, but we loved Iggy Braz. All I think about this year is the villain. Yeah, 100%. Uh, looking back on this, Iggy Braz 100% should have stuck around for one more year. Although the next year, maybe he had uh, some foresight, was the COVID year, a year that we can pretty much skip other than arrival of Jawan Howard and uh, arrival of Franz Wagner. A lot of highs, a lot of lows this season. It felt like very similar to this season. I'm with you. And then 2021, this we're not going back too far. You bring in Shonda Brown, you bring in Mike Spith, you bring in Terrence Williams, and you bring in Dickinson. Lose in the semifinals of the Big Ten Championship, made it to the Elite Eight where we lost to UCLA. That was recent recent history, so I don't need to go too much into that one. Very, very good team with a lot left on the bone. I'm with you. I'm with you there. All right, let's rank these teams. Let's go worst to first, though. I think that's a little bit more intriguing. I think the number 10 one is easy, personally. I think that that is the 14-15 team. That's Albrecht, DJ Wilson, Levert, Muhammad Abdul-Rahman, Walton, Irvin. They're all young. They're all freshmen. Uh, Lost to Wisconsin, corner finals of the Big Ten Championship. No postseason. Any argument there as the worst of the last 10? You mean you don't value a 16-16 and team higher than last? I value it about as much as I value late season career Will Smith movies. <laughs> Very fair point. No, no argument for me on that one. Little bit of a debate between number nine and number eight, though. Uh, I've got number nine, 15, 16. That's when Mo Wagner was a freshman. You got uh, DJ Wilson's last year. He left early. We had to win in the first four to even get into the tourney. Bounced by Notre Dame that year. I think that's number nine. But the argument may be is uh the the covid year i i 100 think so because that's freshman fronds uh you have simpson livers teskey johns uh, eli brooks first year as a starter they finished 19 and 12 when play was stopped they were warming up before rutgers in the big 10 tournament and then everything's canceled so it's really tough to place this team anywhere and it's like we saw one team at least go win a playing game to make the tournament we don't know if this team would have made it or they would have made the sweet 16 it's really hard to quantify it really is. Uh, the only reason I'm going to go with uh, number nine being the 15-16 team is the record, 16-16 and 16 being just a mediocre team. But if you go by roster, if you go by starting five, the 15-16 starting five is way better. And the depth, Mo Wagner, DJ Wilson, Karis LeVert, uh, Derek Walton, Zach Irvin, Duncan Robinson's on that team. Uh, Muhammad Abdul Rahman is on that team. Like if you go by talent, but 16 and 16, very much underachieving. So I'll go them at number nine, but I think you hit number eight spot on. It's, it's the COVID team. Yeah. The John yep. Howard first year team. Yeah. It's fun to group these teams because you can kind of see where the tiers are. And it gives you, lends you a little bit more perspective than where you like would have had them before. Because honestly, like 15 to 16, I don't have that many memories of, cause they were kind of forgettable. 
Here's where it gets difficult, though. Number seven down to like the, the next couple are where, are where it gets difficult. I will maybe say 11-12, the first year eligible in this. Lost in the round to 32. Trey Burke's freshman year, sophomore year for Tim Hardaway. You had Jordan Morgan on that team. Zach Novak, maybe the most forgotten, important Michigan guy in a long time. I've got 11-12 Michigan at seven, but there's there's argument here. What do you got? I had 11-12 on my list as well, but just so we don't completely agree with this, which I'm afraid we're going to, uh, the 18-19 team, I want to put in this range a little bit because I look at the roster here, and it doesn't have the names that jump out, but you have the Iggy Bras. Jordan Poole kind of regressed this season. You and I were pretty critical of him this year. Livers was outstanding. Uh, Simpson was outstanding. And it's really like kind of compare. That team did make the Sweet 16, though, so it's kind of tough to value them underneath a team that only made the round of 32. Right. But if you look at their overall year that year, you have no Big Ten tournament win. You have no regular season championship. You lose to Texas Tech in the Sweet 16. You seem to have regression from Jordan Poole, even though uh, it's Jordan Poole is an interesting case. We were not anti-Jordan Poole. We said he should come back one more year or he needs to get drafted to the perfect situation. He hit the ladder. Uh, Iggy Brazdakis definitely jumped the gun going in the second round that year. Um, I'm going to go them with the number six. And then I think that the, uh, the, the Trey Burke freshman year is, is seven, but I think these are pretty interchangeable. Yeah. That's how I had it on my list as well. But again, another fun grouping because you have in theory, you'd have Iggy Brazdakis going up against Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway, Zach Novak, like just so much fun there. Ooh, who would you rather have on your team if you could just add them at their peak at Michigan right now? Zach Irvin or Iggy Brazdakis? I would love. Oh, that's tough. It's tough because but, Zach Irvin, he's forgotten, but Zach Irvin was awesome. He was. All, I, I love that Iggy Brazdakis edge, and I really thought the team this year could have used that kind of edge. We already have a villain. You want two villains on the team? Yes, a hundred thousand percent. All the villains. I want a villain that I could actually be like, okay, I you're I feel like Iggy Brosdakis would fight me in a parking lot or on a basketball court. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. Um <laughs> I've got this year's team ranked next. I've got them right around the five six range, if I had to put it. Um, but some other arguments might be made for the um I guess you could go with the uh, who else are you even going to argue? I think this is where this team belongs. You've got the plane crash that's, team coming that's up the next. next one, the plane crash right. team. That's exactly how I have it. Yeah. So this, I think this year's team is right behind the plane crash team. So, so yeah. So this year we're going to put them at five, six range. Then it goes plane crash team, lowest seeded Big Ten team to ever win the tournament at number eight. That was the Xavier Simpson. You had Duncan Robinson as a senior. You had Derek Walton, Zach Irvin as seniors. Mo Wagner's a sophomore that year. And in the Sweet 16, we lost by one point to Oregon. You beat Louisville to get some revenge in the round of 32 in that year. That was an awesome year. That was so much fun. Like I said, I was so emotionally invested in them. I had to put them above this year's team. Like just because the ride with the plane crash, like the practice jerseys, there's just so many moments from that season that stand out to me. I'm with you. Now we're getting into the top three. 
I've got next one, 13-14 season. Uh, that was lost in the Elite Eight to Kentucky, but that starting five was Mitch McGarry, Nick Stauskas, Levert coming back, uh, Glenn Robinson the third coming back, Walton and Irvin were freshmen that year. Um, Stauskas was insane that year. Uh, Levert, second team All-American, or second team Big Ten, excuse me, and uh, shared the Big Ten regular season championship. Lost to Michigan State in the tournament, which is a bummer, but I'm going to put them at three. Yeah, lost to Michigan State there, then lost to Kentucky in the Elite Eight. And no, I'm I we spend way too much time together. Like way too much time together because Apparently. I I have them there as well. And it's actually gonna be four because we have a list of eleven, including this year. Right, year's right. Team, yeah. So. so yeah, so technically, uh, yeah, we we did this incorrectly because I did top ten, but we're doing including this year's team. We just so, couldn't, yeah. we couldn't resist that. I mean, I couldn't resist it. So yeah, just slide our number 10 back down to 11. All right. So top two then is just the discussion of which of the national championship teams was best. Uh, let's give, let's give one moment though, to last year's team though, because I think as time goes on, we're going to remember that Sean day Brown, Mike Smith, uh, Dickinson team so fondly. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's the team that's getting left off. So that probably goes, that probably goes next then. I think that's right where they belong then. That's three. That's three on this list. Yep, absolutely. So yeah, all you do is just slide everything back um, because I don't know how to do math. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) slide everything back. Shonda Brown, Mike Smith, you bring in Terrence Williams the third, you bring in Dickinson, lost in the semifinals of the Big Ten Championship that year. And then, then of course, that was the UCLA exit where we really thought we had a shot against UCLA. Um, yeah, I would say that's right behind the plane crash team. Yeah, that's it's I have them just above the plane crash team, but it's like that team was so much fun, man. Like just the depth and what they went did like deep with um Sean Day and Eli carrying the team when Franz fell off because you forget how good Franz was that entire season on both ends of the court. That that's one of my favorite teams of the last decade for sure. Same here, man. And uh, also with Franz falling off with his shooting, I, I'd like to give us a little props because we stuck with him. We're like, no, Franz is still that dude. Like that three point shot is not hitting, but he was doing so much for us last year. And we love Shonda Brown. And yeah, as far as like a, a starting five and then B just like ability. Great team. That's yeah, that's up there. So to recap, before we debate these top two, we had 14, 15, yep. we had 15, 16, Okay. Yep. Nine, oh yeah. Nine, Definitely. Those were the worst two is, was yeah. The 14, 15, 15. Those were the dark times. Yeah. 1920. Okay. Yep. 1920 uh, being the, uh, Jawan Howard first year, the COVID year. Yep. Correct. Uh, 11, 12, the Trey Burke first year. Trey Burke's yep. Freshman year. Yep. 18, 19. That's the sweet 16 loss. The Iggy Brosdakis team. Yep. 21, 22. We just ran through that this season. Don't need to rehash it. Yep. Uh, plane crash team, 16, 17. Yep. Elite eight, 13, 14. Yep. That would be the Franz Wagner year. We'll call it. No, that was the, um, the or McGarry. excuse me. Yeah. 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 The, uh, yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. I'm jumping ahead. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. That was the lost UK, the McGarry awesome Stauskas year. And then the 2021 was the Franz Wagner. Sean then the, Brown, the, yep. Then the Wagner year. Yep. And now the two national title teams. I think it's a little more, I would like it to be more of a debate, but I think the Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway, uh, 12, 13 season is it's maybe not head and shoulders above, but they're above. 
It, I think it is simply because of Trey Burke. You have the one bona fide star best player. And the Trey Smith winner. Exactly. He's the best player on any, on any court he's playing that season. So it's like, I want it to be close because I love the team of 17, 18. I love what they were doing with Jordan Poole. I love Mar. Charles Matthews off the bench was an athletic freak that season. But man, Trey Burke could just take over. McGarry, Stauskas, Levert, GR3, Trey, uh, I already said Burke. No, no, Burke, Hardaway. Lost one game at home the entire season versus the other starting five would be something along the lines of Brooks, Livers, Jordan Poole, Mo Wagner, Charles Matthews, Muhammad Abdul Rahman, Xavier Simpson, John Teske. It's tough. It, it's close, but I think having Trey Burke, like you said, I think that puts it above and is the best team of the last decade or 11 years in this instance. Yeah, because Eli Brooks wasn't even starting that year as a freshman. So he was behind. Uh, I don't know if Xavier was either. It was Mar was starting. Jordan Poole was starting. Rockman but the front starting. court's where it's good because it's Mo, it's Livers, and I think and Teske. And that's an awesome front court. But to say that you finish fourth, we, you know, we put him fifth. In the what? last 11 years? No, 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 no. The set runner-up. No, no, no. Uh, this, we're saying this year's team. I'm saying about this year's team to say, like, to, to bring it all back. Oh, to, okay. For this yeah, team yeah. to finish as high as they did in the last 10 years, where early on in the season, you're like, oh, this is going to be a disaster season. Well, they, I would they were say sixth. They were sixth. They were sixth. Okay. <laughs> Six of 11. <laughs> but that's but honestly, doesn't that feel right though? Like a middling <laughs> yeah, it feels team? right. It, it's a mediocre <laughs> ranking, but it feels right. Like it does. Like because like if they had gone another level, like they jump the plane crash team. Because I mean, you make the elite eight, you can't scoff at that. Right. Absolutely, and probably should have. Like we mentioned the the numbers at the rim earlier. It was very much in play that we win that game. So. Very impressive. And also just looking back, like this exercise was interesting because you look back and you're like, what a great 10 years outside of maybe the two run stretch there in the 14 to 16 era. Just an, a dominant stretch of Michigan basketball. Yeah, we've been to four straight sweet 16s when you remove the COVID year because nobody made it that year. So it's like this is unbelievable. It's great, man. And, uh, you know, we're putting a bow on it a little bit here. We got a little bit more after the break that we'll talk about as far as some of the guys um, eligibility and who's going to be coming back next year. But to put a bow on this season, I think you look at it and you're like, well done. You know, like you took something that was kind of a uh, if, if you took all those starting fives and we did top 10, I don't think that they finish at sixth as far as where you're putting like the starting fives because it wasn't that deep of a team. The rotations got shortened once we got into the tournament. So like, you know, we ranked them six out of 11, but they might be seven or eight as far as you just look at the starting five. You talk about starting fives. Now, if you can have one coach, who do you take? Ooh, <laughs> I'm still going beeline. Beeline's got the longer, the longer history, but Juwan, man, Juwan doesn't miss. Like, you know, I, and I love the fact that both him and Will Smith, they're both doppelgangers and they have the most notorious slaps of the last decade. There's something to be said for that. I don't know what it means, but it means something. I'm just glad Will Smith quieted the conversation in Arbor for a little bit. It's like, you know what? That slap wasn't that bad. Guy had it coming to him. Didn't have his hands behind his back. But John Beeline's the right answer. It's TBD on Jawan Howard for as far as you can you really pick him over Beeline. But we just saw Beeline really build the program from just nothing 
to what it was and going to national championships and sustaining excellence. Jawan Howard doesn't have the success he has right now without John Beeline. That I can say Facts. without without a doubt. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, this was an interesting exercise. So let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Devontae Jones, the Michigan basketball prospects as far as where they're going in the NBA. And then we got a spring game coming up that we will be at. We're going to preview that. Be back right after this. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist. And if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. We're back on Out of the Blue. We're going to put uh, more of a bow tie on this basketball season, although it has essentially been wrapped up. Some news that broke is that Devontae Jones has declared for the NBA draft. I want to get your thoughts because then I might have to go solo. I might have to go isolation here for a minute. You are definitely more in tune to the NBA and draft process than I am, but I thought this was a little premature. I don't know what Devontae Jones does exceptionally well over other recruits, but, you know, Godspeed, more power to him. All right, uh, a preemptive question before I go ISO. What would you say is the thing? Neither of us are, you know, expert analysts in anything. Let me uh, preempt this with that. But we do watch more sports than the average person. What would you say is the thing you're most in tune with? Is it uh, your hockey coverage is insane this year? Is it that, or is it like maybe your uh, like your coverage of a specific position group on the football team? Right now, I would say it's hockey, but in the fall, there's nothing I'm ever more in tune to than the football team. Like all positions across the board, just so dialed in. But right now, this season, it's hockey. I I tune into you for anything that you put out. Generally, uh, also go check out everything Andy's been putting out on MazeandBrew.com. The dude is a beast right now with his content production. Uh, especially, you need to catch up on the hockey stuff. The dude, you're using terms, terminology I don't even know existed before. Like I started reading your stuff, um, but I think the thing that I'm most locked in on, and the thing that I actually feel confident about with my analysis is the chances for the Michigan players on an NBA scale, like if they have a chance at the NBA level and where they rank among other prospects. I am prefacing to say 
Devontae Jones has a long, long, long way to go to the NBA. The NBA draft, there are 30 teams. There are two rounds. That is 60 draft picks. Devontae Jones is listed in none of the 20 mock drafts that I've read. Devontae Jones might, if you held two drafts and extended it to 120 people, still might not get drafted. This is a pro Devontae Jones podcast. I am happy for what he did here. I do not understand this move. He would not be drafted in two drafts. I I legitimately think if you extended it two drafts, he wouldn't be drafted. I, I don't understand the move. I, I was the one that broke the news on maizeandbrew.com about this, and I listed at the highest end for Devontae Jones is a late second-round pick, and he's still going to be subjected to grinding through the G League. And if that's what you want to do, more power to you. But with NIL in place, being the big man on campus, being in college, which is often forgotten, fun, like the most fun. So I, I don't understand the appeal to grinding through the G League ranks, trying to make it to the NBA. If you just say Devontae Jones does blank the best, like this is his thing he can rely upon, like in draft process and analysis, what would you say it is? The thing that is the best part of his game it's like one of those intangible things that sounds like coach speak, like, um, heady defense like something that isn't really quantifiable it's not like at the rim defense it's not point of attack defense it's not off ball defense it's not man-to-man defense it's definitely going to be something on the defensive side and I will say he's an intelligent defender is the thing that he does the best what would you say I would agree with that, but if I want to be different, I would say he does a great job of playing at his pace and kind of changing up that tempo, never getting sped up, never getting slowed down. He does a great job getting, and he's a great finisher, not a great finisher, he's a good finisher at the rim. So I think I would say he plays at his pace all the time, whether you know you like that pace or not, he's playing at it, <laughs> and he's a good finisher around the rim with either hand. I guess you look at him and list it at around six foot and you never know with these. He could be 5'10", he could be 6'1", he's probably closer to 5'11". And the guys that succeed at this level at, at the NBA, I mean, you hope that you're Eric Gordon, but a lot of guys have hoped to be Eric Gordon. He does have the thicker frame where it's like at least he's coming in and he's not going to get completely tossed around in these G League games. But I don't see anything where he's going to be better than Derek Walton. Like, let, let's make that comparison. Do you see anything that he does that's head and shoulders above what Derek Walton did? And Derek Walton listed at about the same height. That's that's very tough. I I with Devontae Jones fresh in mind, I he became a pretty a really good playmaker, especially in the Ohio State game. That was like that's the tape you show somebody if like this is what Devontae Jones can do. He can bring this to your team. So maybe playmaking, but like to take that a step further, what does he do better than Sean Day Brown? <laughs> uh <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of stumped me there because I'm trying to think. He's a better playmaker. He's a better playmaker than Sean Day Brown. He's a better That's guy fair. at setting up other guys. And like you said, with the pace, because he is not going to get too ahead of himself, Sean Day Brown might rush into a three pointer, whereas uh, you might. Devontae Jones probably is going to wait to see what develops. So I guess that's that's my answer. It would be a big mystery to me that if he could find success in the NBA, which I hope he does, and Shonday Brown couldn't as a 6'5", 3 and D defender that shoots around 42% from behind the arc. 
I don't see that happening. I would be willing to bet a great deal of money on it because odds say that Devontae Jones doesn't have a place in the NBA. This sounds super anti-Devontae Jones. And I'm just, it's difficult because you and I listen to to The Ringer. We listen to Bill Simmons. These guys can be brutal on some players sometime, but it's hard for us because we only cover one team. I do not want to be mean or sound dismissive of any player of the team that we cover the team that we love but this makes no sense to me like with Jordan Poole we had quite a dialogue about it you know and I enjoyed that discussion it was like if he goes to a good place yes sit for a year and he and he literally ended up in the best possible scenario like we discussed it we said Iggy Brozdakis and Sean Day Brown could go in the second round and could end up as rotational players that's about what happened you know, we we called that pretty much correctly. We said Franz Wagner is going to play in the NBA. That pretty much happened. Same with Mo. I'm telling you right now, I just don't see how Devontae Jones plays even a minute in the NBA. And I don't want to sound like a dick. I don't want to sound like I'm anti-Devontae Jones. This is this is just baffling to me. And I mean, it opens up the door for maybe a taller, more athletic guard to come in because maybe we need that. But it's just a strange choice and his leadership would have been welcome back next year. Yeah. You don't have to feel bad about it because with Jordan Poole, he was a six, four shooter and we had a great discussion with that. And like you said, he went to the perfect situation. I don't know if there's a perfect situation for Devonte Jones like that. Similar to Mike Smith last year, Mike Smith was a fantastic college point guard. Could go off for 30 and carry a team for a game, but could also have the down game just like Devonte Jones could. And similarly, there was no team either guy I think can go to and just have the success and build up with those attributes that Jordan Poole had. So I find it strange when both guys could have come back, especially Devonte this year. I'm with you. Let's move on to the other three guys that have decisions yet to be made. Hunter Dickinson, Caleb Houston, Musa Diabate. Does any one of them get drafted? Um, is there like a Jordan Poole situation where, well, if they go here, then... Or do you see all three coming back? Maybe somebody goes overseas. How do you see it? Of the three, if Musa Diabate declares he could get drafted, I think because of potential, because of his ability to defend his effort. He's so raw and you can mold him in the way you want. I think Houston needs to come back. It just seems like he needs to mature a little bit more. Doesn't really have that dog in him to attack the rim comfortably yet. Shot's beautiful, but super inconsistent. And Hunter Dickinson has to be better on defense if he's going to be a backup center in the NBA. He added the three-point shot, but he needs to have a better right hand and better defense. So of the three, I'm going with Musa right now. I got it a little bit different than you, which is good. We need to disagree every now and again. Caleb Houston started the season as the highest draft prospect. He ends the season as the highest draft prospect simply because of the position he plays and the value of versatile wings in the NBA. Uh, he didn't show much as far as being a three and D guy this year. His de- defense drastically improved in the tournament the NCAA tournament that is um his three-point percentage was it waned it was up it was down it's hard to figure out what he is but you look at his free throw percentage you look at his shot just mechanics wise it's beautiful it should improve he should come back next year were he to go in this draft I think he'd go around 45 to to 55 I think he would get drafted but I do you really want to go the guys that go in the second round have tenuous lifespans at best he should come back I do not believe Diabate or Dickinson would get drafted were they to go um 
But it's interesting. Dickinson, the things we said he needed to improve, he did improve in the tournament, both his three-point shooting and his his defense. But his defense is not rim protection. His defense was just not committing a lot of fouls. His defense was being a seven-footer that could just stand there. That doesn't really translate to the NBA. So I don't necessarily see either of Dickinson or Diabate as ready. I believe all three should return. Um whether or not that happens, I do not know. The fact that Devontae Jones went and I had him below all these other guys makes me think I don't know anything. But all three should return, I think. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have because you and I are aligned that we think both freshmen would be the ones to be drafted over Dickinson in this scenario. And I'm, I'm also with you that all three need to come back. Like there's things in their game they can work on. And people say, well, why don't you go to the NBA, you know, and work on events? Because you're going to be subjected to living in like, freaking Albuquerque and no one's going to care about you. It's like, you can stay in college, make six figures, be the man on campus, be the life of every party, take some breezy classes and just enjoy a carefree life again. Be back with your best friends. You're never going to be on this team again. So I think that's the biggest selling point for college and the NIL could be the reason all these guys return. NIL changes everything. Yeah. It's, I mean, do you want to go play in Turkey and make the same amount or do you want to stay in Ann Arbor where you're a legend, you know, and continue to build on this? And Dickinson could have a Luca Garza S career and end up still getting drafted, getting a couple paychecks, and that'd be fantastic. I mean, his other options are basically go play in Turkey, go play in China, something like that. He does not fit the NBA currently. I mean, unless he were shooting. Sick, you know, 41% from volume on three this year. And it's like, oh, wow, okay, that guy could be played at the four. But at the five, that's not what you want in a five. You want rim protection, more like what Diabate offers, which is why I still have Diabate above Dickinson as a prospect. But Diabate's ball handling or lack thereof just keeps him out of my top 60 for me. So it, it'll be interesting to see where these guys go. But, um, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a homer and I want them back. All three should come back based on where I think they would end in the draft were it to happen today. Yeah, I think you and I are both want these guys to have the most success that they are capable of in the NBA. And if they wait another year and can develop, that's a higher paycheck, higher everything for them. So for right now, to secure the biggest bag in the future, they need to come back. I'm with you. Uh, let's take a moment, talk about our people over at Homefield Apparel. I just placed an order, met a, a lovely young lady down in Buenos Aires. She loved the colors of the old school Michigan Wolverine clothing. So I've got an order waiting for me when I return back to the homeland. And I got to give a lot of thanks to the people at Homefield Apparel for the selection, for the quality, for the fact that it arrives to my door without worry. And it's perfectly packaged with the crisp lettering. I wash it a million times times and it doesn't wear away, which is a problem with some of the sports clothing that I buy. You put it in the washing machine and just immediately it starts to degrade, not with home field apparel. And they've got your back. You can get 20% off your first purchase when you check out at homefieldapparel.com. Use the code MNB. All right, my friend, hockey. We are on to the Frozen Four. This is glorious. The game against Quinnipiac was uh, nothing short of a circus tent fire. Um, it, it looked like it was an absolute beatdown early on. Ended up seven to four. We were up at one point four nothing, and then at one point it was three to four with a lot of time left. Please explain what happened in this game. <sighs> Let me say it first that the third period was the circus tent fire. The first two were just beautiful Michigan hockey, and it shows what they're capable of. 
But the Wolverines fell back into bad habits by kind of taking the foot off the pedal, not being as aggressive in the third period, more so playing not to lose than playing to win. So it got a little wacky late. Thank God Quinnipiac pulled the goalie with four minutes to go and helped us salt this one away. But two wins away from the NCAA championship now, which is a big deal. First Frozen Four for Michigan since 2018. This team has the potential to win it all. We've already beaten two of the teams in the Frozen Four. On the other side of the brackets, Minnesota and Minnesota State. It's all looking like a colossal matchup of Michigan and Minnesota State, who State's been the best team all season, pretty much. So that would be a fun rematch. We beat them 3-2 to two back in October. The top line, the Olympians, are rolling right now. Our power play looks nigh unstoppable. And Eric Portillo, when he's actually getting some support in front of him, has been dominant. The first two period, the first period against Quinnipiac, I believe he stopped all 14 shots he faced. He was getting a heavy workload and still just shutting them down again and again. This Michigan team has the talent to win a championship, and I think this Denver game is a nice wake-up call for them before the final. I was able to watch some of this game, went back and watched the highlights, so I actually have some thoughts on it. Bigger concern for you with the third period. Is it Portillo's um, in-goal performance, or was it like what what I would de- describe as maybe just like uh, the nepotism of the fact that like they, they're kind of already grandfathered into this. The talent level of Michigan is so high that maybe they kind of lost that competitive edge in the third period. So which which of the two would you say is more a direct result of the collapse in the third period there? I would say it's the competitive apathy once they're ahead by a significant margin. This team, did they did it against AIC in the opening round, just kind of took their foot off the gas, let them back into the game a little bit, and they just did it again. Like, they kept it on there to get up 4 nothing. Like, they were pounding all through the second period. Very physical. Dylan Duke on the four-check was just aggressive and grinding throughout. And it's hard for me to put too much blame on Portillo in the third, but he was just facing constant pressure and just not much in front of him. The back check had let off a little bit. But I did like the resilience when their backs were against the wall. They buckled down, got the empty netter, and even got the power play goal late. Bordy put the backwards pass through his legs to Brisson to show that, like, okay, we can still turn it on. But to beat Minnesota State, it's got to be 60 minutes. And if the opponent keeps it close, that's better for us. I think we're going to finish the job a little more cleanly. That between the legs pass was the nastiest hockey maneuver I've seen in years. Granted, I don't watch as much hockey as you, but that was disgusting. That uh, was unbelievable, man. The power play unit of having Owen Power, Kent Johnson, Brisson, Bordy, and Veneers is just unbelievable the the move of them to put Bordy in the slot and let him operate up front where he got his goal in this game was a just stroke of genius and the fact that Luke Hughes runs the the second power play unit from the point is just absurd that's how talented this team is it's insane that they can go this deep and honestly that's the only thing that worries me is because I agree with you is the apathy like the competition apathy that kind of set in there where it's like bro, we've got Olympians on every line of this team. Like we are loaded up and down. Every single one of these guys is going to play in the NHL. Like we're up four goals. Let's just move on. That would be the only thing that concerns me moving forward. But now you're two games left. And with two games left, you and I definitely are in agreement that talent wise, they, they are better than anybody else in the field. Yeah. Denver, Denver's fun because they're similar to Michigan is that Michigan's just better at everything they do. 
and then Minnesota State is just the ultimate clash of the Titans. And when it's that even, and when it's one game for a championship, I just favor Michigan's talent. Like I favor, these guys all came back for a reason. The Olympics was part of it, but it's also, it's like, it's this team is very close, like top to bottom. And I think it's one last ride with your boys. So again, if you haven't jumped on the hockey train now, two games left of what could be the best Michigan hockey team maybe ever when the chips are down. So tune in, man. If Portillo's on his game, this team is almost impossible to beat. I found a way to tune in from Buenos Aires, so you can definitely find a way. I mean, you can pay $10 and cancel your Big Ten network subscription, so it's easily done. Yeah, that's what I did. And the, most games, I think, are on ESPN now. They play again. Yeah, now uh, that we're in the from, Final Four. You, yeah. Yeah, a week from tomorrow, we play Denver on that Thursday. Then the championship would be on Saturday. So, yeah, you should be able to get these games. Definitely tune in, support the team. You're not going to see a more absurd collection of talent on a collegiate, you know, hockey rink for a long time. So worth watching. Speaking of an absurd amount of talent in one place, we're going to be at the spring game. God, just light me on fire. Say it again. Let's go. We're going to be at the spring game. Oh man, I can't wait. Like it's been so long since you and I have just talked football flat out and in a couple days we'll be reunited watching the game. Right, give me just give me two things. I'm going to be the top things, but just give me two things you're looking forward to at this one. Well, no JJ McCarthy, which is understandable. He's not going to push that. We're not going to see him for a while. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to maybe stray away from the offense. Let's go with Mike Morris to start things here. That is the first thing that I'm going to be watching. Jim Harbaugh said he's the second coming of Aiden Hutchinson. Now, either Jim Harbaugh took some peyote that morning with his omelet, or this dude is super high on Mike Morris. So I'm going to be watching Mike Morris in every single rep. And then the other thing I'm going to be watching is who he's going against at the tackle position. I think it's Trent A. Jones. I'm in on Trent A. Jones. I want to I want to just profess my love for him right now. I think that's the guy. I'm also excited for uh, Ole at the center position. I'll be watching a lot of him. But I think it's Trent A. Jones is going to win one of those tackle positions. And I'm going to be watching those battles. Mike Morris versus whoever's at the tackle position. What do you and of course, of course, Greg Crippen. <laughs> I love that. I think I'm with you now. All indications are Trent A. Jones is winning that job over Barnhart. This offensive line is deep because you have Barnhart there as well. You have Crippen, you have Atterbury, El Hadid, or however you pronounce his name from last year's recruiting class. So tons, tons of talent here on the offensive line. And yeah, all the Mike Morris hype. Good God. Like you, you don't just say second coming of Aiden Hutchinson. Just you don't like, say that. That's obscene. Like, I would never say that, and I run a podcast where I'm usually <laughs> drunk. <laughs> that is outrageous. So that is something to keep an eye on. I'll give you two more. I feel like we're almost switching positions here because I'm going to pick two defensive backs. I'm going to go. pick freshman Will Johnson. I oh, want to yeah. see how he translates to the college game, our first glimpse at him, and new defensive back, maybe part-time defensive back, my boy Mikey Sainer still uh, supposedly picked off Cade McNamara in one of his first reps at nickel. So let's go. I want to see how both of them look adapting to the defense. I want to see how Will Johnson compares to uh, guarding Andrell Anthony. That just gave me chills. And I just want to see how Mikey Sainer still's hips look working in the slot. 
I love all of those answers. I'm kind of jealous of the Mike Sainer still call. That's a really good one. Another thing that you and I have looked for in the past at these spring games is who stands out as the fastest guy and the biggest yes. guy. Because this is where you first get to see the guys in pads. You really get an idea. It was a few years ago that you picked out um, uh, who am I thinking of? Not Andrew Anthony. You picked out AJ Henning as the fastest guy on the field. Ambry Thomas before has yep. been picked out in the spring game as seeming like the fastest guy you go into. We're going to know who the biggest guy is, who the fastest guy is, who looks like a football player. So I just want to go in there and make absurd categorizations based off of how someone looks on just in pads. So yeah, get ready for some heat after we see this in person. I'm bringing the binoculars. God, our next podcast is going to be amazing because the last spring game I was at, the only other one was 17, and a few things you and I were both right about because you were watching on the Big Ten Network was Devin Bush is a star, yep, and that that was like our that was our number one takeaway. It's like Devin Bush is a star, and we knew we were going to be able to run the ball that season. That was the other one. What I missed on that year was I thought Brandon Peters was like the next Peyton Manning, but I was just yeah. you know little of the moment. Yeah. We were both Another, there too, by the way. Yeah. I I own up to that too. <laughs> Another one we were right on, which is kind of more low key, but and a little more nuanced, was I thought Benjamin Benjamin St. Just was going to get cooked all season long because I watched him get bodied over and over again by Nico Collins, and that just kind of spoke to how both careers would go for those guys. You are one hundred percent correct, and I think you bring up a good point that the spring game is mostly just like, oh, it gives us a reason to talk about football. But every year we come out of this with a couple things that we've learned. We're going to learn at least four to five things that end up being true in this game. So I'm super excited for our next podcast. Seeing it in person is so much different than seeing it on TV too, because we're actually going to be able to hear the pads crunching, see how these hits look, see who they're lining up and you know how somebody, their weight looks, how their speed looks versus a guy on defense. It's going to be, it's going to be super informative. And after just the crazy intake of sports that we've been in the last couple of weeks to like switch over to football, man. I'm juiced. I'm ready to go. Please, everybody that's listening, come out, find us, give us all your Greg Crippen takes, give us your fire takes. Like you think Tavi Dunlap should take Blake Corum's minutes next year. Just give us something wild. This is what we're here to do. We're here to talk ball. We're here to have fun. And we get a glimpse into the future this weekend. Like after this weekend, we will know something. It won't be vindicated or validated for a while, but we will know something. We'll know something. And I will know that if you come at me with Tavi Dunlap over Blake Corum minutes, I'm probably going to close my beer and walk away. I'm going to put the <laughs> lid back on my beer. <laughs> that would be such a funny hill to die on. Then watch Tavi Dunlap go win the Heisman or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've already got my hill. Donovan Edwards is going to get some Heisman hype at some point this year. I'm going to keep pushing it. That's my bold take for the year. It's not going to happen. He's not going to win it. He's not going to finish in there. But at some point, people are going to be like, is this Edwards kid Heisman worthy? You're going to hear it. I just feel a it. A sneaky one I'm looking forward to is Darius Clemens at receiver and the other true freshman quarterback who kind of snuck in this class. I think his name's Alex something. Ojiri, maybe. I don't know. Uh, orgy. It's literally yeah. Orgy. Yeah. Alex Orgy at quarterback. That's I've, I've been hearing some things. 
Well, you and I, we saw the uh, like we saw one quick video of his throwing motion and we both had the same reaction. We're like, well, that's how a quarterback's supposed to look. So <laughs> like he, his throwing motion, his size, his build already looks big for a freshman. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty high on Alex Orgy, but I mean, I was high on Milton and McCaffrey. So I've been wrong before when it comes <laughs> to quarterbacks. I, we can't talk about quarterback size after Milton. Like We're banned from talking about we're size. banned. We're banned. But yeah, check in. Uh, with us next week it's going to be a good podcast we're going to have some serious spring game overreactions uh reach out to us please let us know if you're going to be at the spring game we gave you our twitter i'll give it to you again it's at jstorm 303 at um andrew b that's going to do it for out of the blue make sure you like share subscribe on spotify apple music wherever you get your podcasts you can follow mason brew at mason brew I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.